Let's pray to begin our time. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this time together to think about the mission that you've given to us. And we pray that by your spirit you would encourage our hearts, that you would energise us for uh, the mission, and that you would uh, equip us to be um, good ambassadors for Christ. So we pray uh, now, Father, for your help and give you thanks for the privilege that it is uh, to be um, the witness, uh, witnesses of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So this is uh, week three of three-part series. The first week we looked at uh, ourselves, just considering what obstacles we have within ourselves in sharing the gospel with people. Um, The second week we thought about uh, a theology of evangelism. What are some of the um, things that we know from scripture that shape the way we do evangelism? And today, uh, the title is Evangelism, Putting It in Practice. So the idea is, how do we now go about this task uh, of evangelizing? And what follows is not comprehensive. I haven't covered all avenues. Uh, these are just uh, some of the things that I've gathered together. Um, and we'll just work our way through, and there'll be breaks in between at certain points to ask questions, make comments. Uh, so let's begin <coughs> with uh, the first thing in terms of our um, method, how we go about evangelism. I've put there, you'll see on the heading, uh, prayer. And this really is flowing from our conviction that uh, this is God's mission um, and that God is the one who orchestrates history who actually changes situations and that God is the one who saves people. And so prayer, we have to remember, is our starting point because we are getting on board with what God is doing and God is the one who opens doors and opens hearts. So we just can't leave that off the the agenda. It's easy to bump it into a kind of Functional, uh, you know, we just say that that's a thing, but really, that really needs to be um, something we we do. Um, An example is Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And just look what he says about himself, the great apostle Paul. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then look in verse 3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray. That's our first first step in our method. Secondly, words. We need to use words. This may sound like a silly one, uh, but we do need to remind ourselves that there is, um, in fact, no way of getting around it, We need to use words. We need to say things and tell people about Jesus. This is clear from Paul's example in the passage uh, that we just read. Notice that uh, he wants a door for the message. Notice his desire to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And notice that clarity is a concern for him. All those points highlight that it's words. We need to actually say words Um, 1 Peter, which you've got written on your sheet there, makes it clear that it is through the word that believers are born again. I'll read it out. Now that you have purified yourselves uh, by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he goes on about the word, and then right at the end there, and this is the word that was preached to you. Born again, through the living word. What word's that? That was the word that was preached to you. We need to hear the word. There's a simple logic here that Paul employs in Romans 10. How then? 
Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Or telling them? It's a simple logic. We need to remind ourselves we need to use words. That means we need to open our mouths and say things. We'll come back at the end, as you'll see in the end up on the second page, to talking about how to talk at the, uh, at the end. Um, there's a saying that goes, preach, you've probably heard this, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. You've probably heard that. Um, which I think, just a comment on that, is a punchy way of saying live incredible gospel-shaped Jesus-commending lives. Um, but I think it must have been understood to teach that words are not necessary for conversion. They clearly are. Okay, but speaking of good lives, that's our next heading there you have, good lives. Another way we go about evangelism is we actually go about evangelism by living lives that commend Christ. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12 is quite clear. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Presumably glorifying him because they've been converted through your words, but words that come about by such good lives. Um, and this is a theme in 1 Peter, really. I don't know if you've got 1 Peter 3, 1 there as well. Um, but, you know, um, you see it in different areas in 1 Peter. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Um, and likewise, uh, in that famous verse in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And just there, that what kind of lives would we be living such that people would be asking us about the hope that we have? And then he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And that's quite handy, actually, because that little, those little words at the end, with gentleness and respect, that's a nice little summary there where life and words come together. You see that? We've just done words and life, and now this is words and life. It's not one without the other. Um, we might summarise it uh, by saying, words without life doesn't commend Christ. Uh, and life without words doesn't present Christ. And so we need both to go together. Um, and Peter's point really here is picking up on Jesus' words, isn't it? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I'll just make two comments on lives before we pause for questions. <coughs> and the first one is that um, with respect to these living these good lives, um, I don't think that this is necessarily uh, things like soup kitchens. I think uh, what he means is always live good lives. Um, this is that at the whole of our lives, whether we are engaged in formalised charity work or not, and I think that this is where the emphasis lies really in scripture actually, Peter and Paul both pick up on how we live in the workplace, uh, talking about slaves and masters. Uh, they both speak about our public life in the sense of our relationship to authorities. Uh, and they both focus on homes as places where godliness is displayed. Um, this is not to rule out other ways of letting our light shine. Uh, it's just to, to try to emphasise, put the emphasis where the scripture puts the emphasis. Um, and I actually think that this is powerful. Um, viewing it this way, because I think we have many contexts in which we already exist, in which we can live exemplary and Christ-commending lives. Uh, it might be um, the, the jokes. I mean, I remember what it's like in the workplace. It might be the jokes, uh, and you're different. It might be the gossip, uh, and you're different. Uh, it might be integrity. The number of times where I've found myself where there's just that subtle pressure to cut a corner and you think, 
that's actually cutting a corner, isn't it? That's, that's not integrous. There's, there's not a truthfulness about that. And it's surprising how powerful those little moments of saying, I'm actually not going to cut that corner. It's actually surprising how powerful those moments are. Uh, and it might be in our finances. So they're just a few ways um, where there's daily opportunity in the context that we live to live such good lives. Um, just our daily love and care of people around us in a um, in non-formalised contexts, uh, essentially getting in people's lives and loving and serving them well. I just think there's plenty of opportunity for that. Um, and secondly, uh, with respect to this living good lives, there is a a lot of the commands in Scripture are for us to love one another. It's within the church, um, the love that we have for one another. Um, and uh, I, I've heard many stories of people uh, being struck by the love that they've experienced uh, amongst people in the church. And the beauty, one of the beauties of the love in the church is the diverse love, you know, the diversity of the love um, that can be seen in the church. And you, you surely know the um, words in John 13 where he says, A new command I give you, love one another. Jesus speaking to his disciples, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So evangelism, there's strange ways of God as we actually love one another. Um, and an important thing to note here is that this, highlighting this, helps to guard us against making people units. Um, people are not just units out, that we love out there. And then once they get into the church, we kind of think, okay, job done, carry on loving the people out there, and stop loving the people once they're in. It kind of guards us against that, isn't it? We, our, our goal is not just to win converts to add numbers, but to uh, love people and bring them into the fold of God and into the family of God so that they will be our brothers and sisters. We have that same, that end of, this is a new member in our family that we can continue to love and serve. So, I'll just press pause there and just have a little moment for questions or um, clarifications or comments if we like. And just for the guys that came in um, uh, after I started, it's been recorded. So, that's just to be aware of. That's the case. Yeah. Um, the point about our, our lives um, is. It's possible, it is possible to get hung up and think, well, I'm not, you know, um, if my example is better and this sort of thing, and, and, and you realise after a while we can't ever be completely perfect. And um, I um, also wonder whether it's, it's helping us to think that they're doing things for example's sake. We care, if you're not careful, you're not being, being a bit of hypocrite. You know, just I'm doing this because I want X, Y, or Z from you. But I, I wonder if it's sort of better just to say, just just live normal Christian life. Don't, don't worry about it too much. And actually, for evangelism, don't you know what I'm trying to say? Don't worry too much yeah. about trying to live the right life. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's obviously got to be better mentioned because it does in the Bible. Mm -hmm. that, benchmark of um, being able to commend Christ, have to live such a life that will never be quite possibly uh, attained. You might only have to wait until you get up to a certain mm. before you can say something. Which that's not right, is it? You might mm. feel that way that I've not been good enough. Yeah. So I can't share the gospel. Yeah. My marriage is going great, so I yeah. probably shouldn't not really yeah, yeah. Until I'm really a one Christian, I can't really be. Yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's not be like that, do we? No, I think it's a good point to bring up, and um, 
I think two things come to mind. One is uh, one is simply that we, we um, you know, I think with any of the commands and script exhortations, however we phrase it, um, there's always a danger of making that exhortation turn it into something that um, we now never attain. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so I think this, the solution can't be just to park the exhortation as a way forward. Um, and because Peter is trying to, in that letter, encourage and spur the Christians on to live godly lives, um, and I think he does have that view in his mind that actually as you live these lives, you, you do connect to Christ. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, and the second uh, would be that um, it's the, uh, I can't remember where it is in Corinthians, but we've had it recently about, um, we have this treasure in jars of clay, uh, perhaps comes to mind. And so I guess in that sense that our witness um, is, is perhaps on the one, it's two things, isn't it? Um, some people say the church is not a, it's not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. You've heard that before. Um, I'd like, I kind of like to think yes and no, and somehow we are both. What I mean by that is um, we are encouraged to have such good lives that people will see, wow, they, Christians are genuinely different. I think, I think we, should, we should try to hold on to that. But we, 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 we do live transformed lives. Um, broadly speaking, you know, there's many kind of caveats that we can put in there. Um, but broadly speaking, but at the same time, we also um, are people who are uh, aware of our brokenness, aware of our sin, and and can use that as well to say it's actually not about me, um, and use that perhaps to point to the cross. That's I suppose. I'd say that. Any anything come back on that one? Any others? Um, just something. The hope that you have is a hope of liberation from, from continuing to be a sinner. Mm. Um, and so there's uh, the, the good deeds that we, the God works in us and through us, we do, um, uh, are uh, going to overcome the reality of us being a sinner. One thing which I do think about in intellectual rights and then um, uh, see your good deeds is the kind of long-term planning mm-hmm. for good deeds. Um, so, as well as the rather large church is um, the medical schools. So how is the left light shine? It'll be some way that they visible. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that puzzle about is um, how many Trying to work, pay work, and pay work, pay work, pay work. Very likely, can kind of plan for the light to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of getting on with living life as one thing mm-hmm. as But there might be things you can put into your plan, like tools, not to yours, which enable them to be more visible. Mm-hmm. So you want to be sort of an active waiter. Yeah, how do people have a sense that we have a hope? Mm-hmm. I think with the, with the light shine, I was thinking about that in my heart. Um, yeah, sometimes it's about, some of it's about like actively, yeah, kind of actively doing good deeds. And sometimes it's about not hiding what you like or what you might have. Mm-hmm. I can sometimes do that when want to say something because you know there's just especially like if you're with gossip going on you just sort of think oh I'm just gonna not join in whereas actually sometimes kind of letting the uh yeah so sometimes it's about not restraining what you know is right rather than sort of actively yes yes yeah, yeah just like that let your light shine I think I know what you mean. In some some situations, it's almost as though there's a kind of there's a fittingness to a response, and it's almost more awkward that you you 
don't respond or say your mm-hmm. say your opinion in a situation, but we kind of try to skip around it for, for the awkwardity that it might create or whatever it might be. And uh, yeah, and, and, and there's an opportunity to actually just to let that light change and to be who we are. Yeah, and, and just and just building on that intentionality, I think we'll, 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 um, at the back half we'll talk a bit about intentionality, but we'll, we'll pick it up now while we're there. Is um, in something that struck me in studying two Peter is that in many ways we're we're, uh, we're already doing things like that. So we're quite intentional with things that we love, and we're quite intentional in many ways in our lives. Um, and so it's a kind of intentionality, as it were, is not a naughty word. Um, it's what we do in many contexts already. Let's press on for time-wise. Um, so this little next section is uh, now thinking about how to kind of, again, method. Just you'll, I'll just, I guess I'll just um, riff on this for a little bit and then we'll, we'll pause for questions again. I've got here event evangelism versus personal evangelism. And I'm just picking up two kind of methods um, that I've heard along the way. Uh, evangel- event evangelism, I'm summarising as essentially put on an event and invite people to it, and it's a kind of somebody else does the talking type evangelism. Uh, and personal evangelism is a kind of, you do the talking. And so I suppose, you know, um, in my experience, people have emphasised uh, one or the other. They, some churches will put on lots of events, and they'll encourage people, bring your friend, friends along. Um, get a good speaker, do a good talk, have a kind of plan to how to follow it up, etc. Um, and then others will, you might hear, they, they want to say, oh, hold on a second, aren't, 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 aren't the leaders supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry? And actually, we can all be disciple makers. Um, I think uh, my, 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 where I seem to arrive now, I think, is just to say yes. I think they're both good, um, and I'm, I think probably being aware of the risks on either side um, are helpful. I think, you know, as a body, God has given us um, people with varying gifts, like we said last week, and some people are good at presenting the gospel, and so I think it's fine to have events, um, and for some people it's an easy invite, and somebody else can do the talking, I think that's okay, I think that's, that's a good thing, um, and at the same time, um, events can can become ways in which we kind of can hide behind, you know, this is one of the risks, I suppose. We can kind of move away and hide behind the work of making disciples uh, for ourselves. And then I think that can be an unhealthy way as well. My, my thought would be, you know, in my, in my imagination, would be that a good combination would be some events and um, encouraging personal evangelism as well. Um, and that the events can function as... Um, Opportunities to aid personal evangelism and personal discipleship, um, and can also um, serve as kind of catalysts and spurs on. So that's a note on that. Uh, just a note on friendship evangelism as another kind of thing uh, term that gets thrown around. Um, I think the strength of friendship evangelism is on the relational, it, the way that it emphasises the relational nature of discipleship, which I think is good in pushing back against uh, people simply becoming units. And so I think that's one of the strengths of that. Um, I think one of the weaknesses of friendship evangelism, or if that's the only thing that we have in our minds, is that it can potentially undermine the power of God um, in powerful moments. Um, and yeah, if, if, if we only have in our frame of frame that, you know, this kind of a lot extended period of friendship and slowly getting to see our lives and, and then slowly dripping in the gospel, and which might take years. Certainly not to undermine that at all, but I think we just need to be aware as well. Like God can save people quick. Um, we can have an expectation for that and we can tell people about Christ and th- that's what has happened historically. Um, so that's one thing. And yeah, in that sense, it, c- it can potentially be limiting in what, um, in what God can do and what we think is possible. Now that's event evangelism versus personal evangelism. And then I'll just um, say, I, I suppose my preferred method would be uh, intentional organic 
communal evangelism. And what do I mean by that? Um, I think the strength here is that it's a combination of the two, really. Um, it includes uh, what I'm calling organic events. Um, and an example of this would be, uh, say, uh, there's a variety of ways to do it. Um, you could have a barbecue and you could invite some believing friends and some unbelieving friends. And that's it. You just bring them along. Um, and there's a kind of, that's why I put intentional organic. There's a kind of intentionality about that. A kind of, I actually want to, you know, get some of my believing friends rubbing shoulders with my unbelieving friends, and who knows what conversations will generate off the back of that. Um, uh, there's an organic element to it in the sense that it's not doesn't have to be formalised by the church and marketed, and this is what we do. Anybody can do this. That's part of the beauty of it. Um, and also, it's communal. So that it does bring in those themes of getting to see uh, the Christian love for one another, um, and also having that ability to kind of <coughs> capitalise on the best of friendship evangelism, while at the same time, um, when it's not a friend, they say, in, my, in my experience, they seem to have it, have it easier to start speaking, you know, what do you do when, before you know it, you're, able, you're talking about Christ, or you're talking about spiritual matters, and it doesn't feel like, you know, when you have a close friend, it feels a bit like, oh, we can, how, how do we get into that conversation? Sometimes just an outside person is able to get into that space quicker. So, um, yeah, I think that's why the um, that's why what the benefits are. It doesn't have to be a barbecue. It could be something simply like a game of tennis. You have a game of doubles, and you just bring along a couple of um, friends from both sides, or whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> I suppose, in a way, to summarise it, it's really just bringing our worlds together. Um, and then just trusting Christ to, to do his work in the midst of it. And, and perhaps one note on here might be to let's not be ashamed of one another. <laughs> no, you know, I remember um, my, my uh, friends from when I, when I first became a Christian came down to Sydney, hanging out with um, a bunch of guys that were now Christians. And he literally said to me as we were walking up the hill, uh, we'd gone down to get a kebab or something, we were walking back and they were a bit ahead of us. And he literally turned to me and he said, And I just thought, wow, that hadn't actually even crossed my mind. It had previously in becoming a Christian, because I thought the Christians were a bit geeky, basically. But then having become a Christian, I thought, oh, actually, that's totally changed. But now here I am with my old friend, and he is just thinking that's weird, right? But there's a sense in which that kind of commends Christ at the same time. As a, yeah, that, that's the way the church is, yeah? full of all different people who have come together and been loved by God. So that's, that's an example that doesn't seem to kind of be the most, you know, uh, successful, but I think our, our job is not just to win converts, as it were, but to witness to Christ and to his goodness and, and God will do, do, the, do the work um, and then the gospel has that, that um, uh, two, two different responses doesn't it? It will be the aroma of life to some and death to others. Um, so in summary here just in terms of this uh, method and talking this uh, up to this, this is kind of a halfway point in our session, is to say the kind of movement really is something like this. We want contact with people who are not believers. Uh, we want it to be relational, warmth. There's got to be some sort of warmth here. Um, it's not just contact and just um, mechanical. Uh, it's contact, it's warmth, relationship, and it's words and lives. And that's, there's a kind of simple, I think, thing that's happening there. We're just getting connected to people, um, intentionally, uh, with warmth, and then we are speaking and living in a way that commends Christ. So that's a summary there. Any questions or comments? Clarifications? Tim Chester talks quite a bit about this last intentional organic communal evangelism. Mm. When we did a church weekend away, he, he talked quite a lot about blending all these 
things in the way you describe mm -hmm. is a good, good place to go. But I think um, I mean, we definitely want to talk about the practicals a little bit, and we that, that's what tonight's yeah. um, about. I just with these different types of evangelism, uh, you know, I, I'm probably similar. My view is that there's a church, and personally, I'm probably you know like a been stroke C in in these things. And I typically feel if you're not out of university or book student, we don't have little children. Um, we don't plan any events really. And in terms of vandalism, I don't think the average and this is a self-selecting group in some ways in these Sunday yeah. sessions, but the average Northern Road Church Person, I mean, there, you know, if, you, if you do that, are they equipped? And I think you know, we, we do need to go between getting the engine turning, eventually the gearing has got to happen in order for the wheels to start turning. I can think of six or seven people who are three or ten years or so being in the church who I think are, you know, you can see, you know, that you know they're evangelistic, but quite a lot who. It's, you know, we're, we're kind of somewhere, somewhere else. So I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. We do need to, yeah, start uh, you know, talking more about the practicals and digging in a little bit more um, to what, you know, why this isn't perhaps happening more, isn't generally part of our, our DNA. Yeah. But I don't know, what does anyone else think about it? Lots of things like say, the youth work or the sending people overseas. And we have a strategy, a plan, we have a group to encourage people to pray and to plan what's going to happen, what's going to be taught. But this, this whole area that you described, it would be good if we could have like a, a strategy or a, an agreement uh, to make sure. But things like you're doing now. Something like this happens once a year or something, so that other people get um, excited about the reason and are clear about it. So, some sort of training strategy or mm -hmm. um, a group that can set up plan events or to help support people who are uh, exhausted on their own, so, or yeah. to get people together with friends who have similarly, have similar interests that they can invite. So, it's sort of almost strategy. This yeah. is very exciting. No, I agree. Yeah. And, and doing it has made me think this would be exactly those same things. Yeah, this is uh, I find I feel the I feel the, the kind of camera turning back around <coughs> myself um, and and fellow elders to kind of think how, how, how are we gonna we, we, I think I think you're right. Yeah. And hopefully this is a time that we'll step forward and <laughs> you know keep moving. Should we should we try and do the second half then? I think that's all these practicals. Um, so okay, what I'll do is I'll move quite quickly, and then I might pause halfway, and then yeah, and then and then run at the end. Basically, lots of bullet points here, not enough time to go through everything. So <clears throat> how to speak, and and now what we've got down to is if here you are, you're in a conversation, or you're with somebody and they're not a believer. Um, and this is a kind of how do we, what now? Uh, can there be some helpful tips um, to help us engage in, in that um, moment? Um, I've read two books. I didn't bring them. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, one of them is called Questioning Evangelism. And funny enough, he thought that questioning was a great method. Um, and the other one was called Tactics by a guy named Greg Kukul. Um, and it turns out that the, the, the book really is about questions and how to use questions well. Um, so what I've got here is, in a conversation, asking questions. This is a summary, and I highly recommend reading the book by um, Greg uh, and Randy Newman. They're, they're great books. Ask questions. And the big idea there, um, clarity. Questions are great because, in that moment, if you're feeling a little bit um, unsettled, questions buy you time. Uh, questions help to clarify what another person is actually saying, particularly if they're making a challenge to the faith. 
um, or particularly if you've been asked something and you're not quite sure um, uh, what they're getting at, um, if they're sneaking in an objection or sneaking in a shot at you or something. Um, and so what he ha he's got in here, Columbo, he calls them. Um, Columbo 1 is essentially a questions, it's questions aimed at clarifying what is the person saying. If you're in a kind of um, a discussion or argument, precisely what are they saying? And this just, it, it relieves the burden from you. Um, you can do it in a loving way. And actually, it just causes the light to, things to come to the surface um, and will help you to respond better. The second combo tactic is why. And that really is kind of people, if you're engaged in a, in a conversation and it become, turns into a bit of a discussion, a bit of an argument, um, the why question is then not just allowing people to um, state their beliefs, as it were, and just leave it there, but then um, push the ball back into their court again and ask them why. And again, that doesn't have to be in, in a nasty way. He, he, he in fact comments, you know, as soon as it, if it turns that way, you lose. I mean, it's got a point here at the bottom where it says, where I, if anyone is angry, you lose. Um, if you get angry, you lose. If they get angry, you lose. And what he means by that is, um, yeah, and one, so I guess what he's saying is once you've got angry, you've kind of you've got yourself fretted up, and it, it, he's saying at that point you, it doesn't it doesn't seem as though you're quite solid and comfortable in the truth. Um, and if he gets angry, um, at that point it might be the case that now's the time to press pause. These are some method questions, and um, anyway, that, that's what he suggests. And I think there's I think there's a fair bit of wisdom in that. Um, but the question here, the second one is why. Asking people to give reasons for what they state. Um, and he, he suggests that a lot of time people don't actually have reasons for what they state. They're just repeating what other people have stated. And also that by giving, asking for reasons um, helps to flush out their thinking, um, etc. So that's questions. And then finally, finally this third one, Columbo 3, um, is that once you've done Columbo 1 and 2, questions can be great ways to steer the conversation. Um, so the point there is just questions. That's, and um, Andy, Randy Newman would say that's following the Master, the Master, our, our Lord Jesus. He, he, was, he asked questions. So questions are a good way to get the heat off you if you're feeling that way um, and bring some clarity to the conversation. Second point now I have is head and heart. Now what am I doing, what am I saying there? Sometimes you're in a discussion with somebody about Jesus things um, and uh, I think that we should aim for both. Um, we aim for intellectual defences and presentations of the gospel um, because, based on our session on theology last week, um, oh, I've got feminine, not completely broken down. Uh, it's meant to say the image. The image of God is not um, completely destroyed. Uh, people, the, the effects of sin is not such that people's minds don't function anymore. So we can aim for the head. Um, using reason, reasonable arguments, reasonable um, inter intellectual defences is good and fine. Um, likewise, I think, um, however, we should also aim for the heart um, in our presentations of the gospel. We should aim for longings that people have. Um, we should give emotionally satisfying presentations. And that's rooted in our theology that people don't just think with their heads, they think with their hearts as well. Um, and... Uh, Final point here is uh, sensitivity on this front. So on the one hand, we could, you know, you can kind of, this is how it cashes out. You can get all hung up and you, you, you're way down in here in super technical um, uh, debate, right? Trying to argue for Christ and present Christ to someone. Um, and somebody else comes on and says, oh mate, you need to go for the heart. Because what's happened is it's not an intellectual thing that is stopping them. It's just that it's a moral issue. Their heart doesn't want Christ. And I'm wanting to say, it, we don't know, it might, be, it might be this, it might be that. Um, and sensitivity would say that there are a variety of reasons why people don't believe in God or trust in Christ. And they can be, this was from Kugel's book, and I thought it was really helpful. He said, sometimes it hurts. And so actually, it's not an intellectual thing, but it's a previous hurt that is providing a stumbling block for them. So having sensitivity and working out, where is your objection lying? Is it an intellectual one? Is it, is, it, is it a plain rebellion? A heart issue? Or is it a hurt? 
Or is it that there's an emotional challenge for you because you've got loved ones who have passed away and actually you're aware that this would be very painful for you? And that gives us a certain sensitivity as we talk to people and helps us to navigate. Where should I aim to target here? I may just be, I may just be um, flogging a dead horse by trying to argue um, this intellectual reasons for God um, when there's something that will stop you. That's head and heart. Uh, I've got here defeat, defend, present um, in different kind of apologetic discussions or whatever. Um, defeat means, uh, I've got here Kukul, I don't know if you've got this written down, use questions to punch or, uh, yeah, to unpick worldviews. Have you got that written down? Yeah. yeah. So defeat there is, what you can do is, um, because um, other views of the world are inconsistent, they are wrong, they'll have problems with them, you can slowly start to, through questions, shed light, unpick, and essentially pull the world out from underneath people, right? That's defeating. And there's a helpfulness about that. We can unsettle people. Um, and Kugel calls it putting a stone in people's shoe. Um, it's that irritating thing where actually, yeah, my worldview doesn't stack up. Um, it's unlivable or whatever else it might be. That's defeat. Um, that's going on the offence, as it were. Um, there's also defending, which is being able to give um, uh, reasonable, uh, to show the reasonable nature of the faith, to be able to show that there are good reasons to believe in Jesus, there are good reasons to believe in the resurrection, there are good reasons to um, think that, um, uh, good emotional reasons to, to think that this is, that forgiveness of sins is, is what we need, etc. Um, so there's defeat and defend, they're kind of the positive and the negative. But I'd like to add present. And what I mean by that is, if you just defeat, you leave a vacuum. Um, and that can, somebody, I remember listening to talking, and somebody said, don't just defeat and walk away. That's not actually very loving. If you defeat, as it were, if you pull the rug out from somebody, put the right thing back in place. That is the loving thing to do. Um, and so we present. And, not a, and, and the reason uh, we need to present and not just defeat and defend is because if we defend, we're just on the back foot. It's just a defense of what is. And we haven't put forward to them, actually, here is Christ, here is the good news about Jesus. And it's for you. And this is how you respond. So defeat, defend, but don't forget to present. And that's rooted in our theology of the word, that we, people are born again by the word. Uh, next point I have here is leverage the real world. I think this one's great. Okay. Have you got that one down? Yeah. You do. Uh, Jesus has the best answers to life's real questions. And I really think we, can, we really should leverage this. People live in the real world. And you just can't get around that. You can stick your head in the sand all your life and pretend like things don't matter or like you've risen above it, or like your religion's working. But the reality is, that is just hard work. They are kicking against the grain. Right? And here's just a few examples. Leverage guilt and shame. Just leverage it. It will be a reality for so many people, and forgiveness is beautiful to hear where there's guilt and shame. Leverage people's longings. People will be deeply dissatisfied because we were made for God. Leverage their longings and present Christ as better. People will be fearing death and uh, will be concerned about eternity. You can't get away from that. That is the world we live in. Death is a, is a very sad thing. Leverage that and present the resurrection hope. Uh, justice. People can't get around the fact that they long for justice. Leverage a final judgment when justice will be done. People are glory-seeking. That is just how we are. We are glory-seeking for ourselves and we are made to worship. Leverage that and, and aim for our, our human pride. And just, all you do is bring these things up and people start to trigger. Something goes, because it's, it's experience. We've all, we all, this is human. And we're made to worship. Present God as the place where we are, where that glory, that worship is meant to go. Uh, rest, again, uh, uh, 
you, 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 you understand the point here. So I won't do the others, but you can see the point. I'll do desire for love, actually, because that not that just wonderful? Who doesn't desire to be loved? Everybody wants to be loved and accepted. We're built for that. Um, present God's love to people. So essentially the point there is leverage the real world. People can't get out of the real world. So just say it. And the likelihood that they live in the real world is very high. Uh, next one is, uh, there, there, uh, I've got here, diversity of ways to get to Christ. And that's just to say, I think we don't have to feel as though there's a kind of one track that we have to get through to present Christ. There are many, many different tracks, many different images of the way to speak about what God has done for us in Christ. And the more we grow in understanding the gospel, uh, the more we can use those diversity of ways. The big point here being uh, t- twofold. And this is kind of like almost a big point in, almost sums up everything I've said in some ways, is we are trying to connect the gospel to the person's life. I think that's much better than just kind of shoehorning in some formula that we think we need to go through. Trying to connect the gospel as best you can to that person's life based on what you know and the conversation that you're having. Obviously, you know, we can get hung up on that. We can, we, can, we can feel as though we're never able to do it. Trust in God. Do your best. Um, and then the other is, is that we're removing obstacles to unbelief. Those two kind of things, I think, capture quite a lot. If you remove obstacles to unbelief, that's defending the faith and pulling the rug out and then we're connecting the gospel to people's lives. That says a lot. Um, I'm actually just going to power through and then we're going to end with questions. Um, what I've got here is Jesus is better versus Jesus is necessary. I think we need to do both. The Jesus is better gospel is uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll are letting you down. Jesus doesn't let you down. Uh, Jesus is necessary gospel is, um, is the fire and brimstone uh, repent or burn. And I think that it's a warning and a wound. And I think that both of them can be employed and we don't have to uh, go for just one or the other. They're just, there are two ways, I don't think it's necessarily a problem uh, to have put the Jesus as necessary um, uh, presentation of the gospel. Um, I've got here aim at core issues. That's essentially just doing effort to try. So stick around to the cross if you can and the resurrection and uh, right at the core of, of what God has done for us in Christ. Um, rabbit trails can take you off on, on places that just can be difficult to get back from. They can be helpful, uh, but, but um, when you're way, way off down somewhere about some obscure text um, in the Old Testament, maybe, I don't know, that's just a thing. Um, have a follow-on plan is another good thing that I read. Um, yeah, know what might be the next step. What might you be able to do next? Where might you be able to point them to a resource or something like this? Um, I think uh, I've got here persuade and appeal. Now that there is just to say, um, I think that it's okay to aim at persuading people. We persuade people um, in other contexts about things that we love. Um, Paul tried to persuade people. Uh, Jesus, it seems to me, tried to persuade people. And um, and so persuading people, I don't think, is a bad thing, um, provided we're, we're persuading them in the right way. Um, and at the same time, I've got their appeal. And what I mean by appeal is there's a sense of urgency I think is okay. Again, I think in all things we want to have a manner about us that commends Christ. Um, but I think it's fine, and perhaps even good, to appeal to people. People really need Christ. It's not an offer, as you were, or a nice suggestion. People really need Jesus. Uh, Jesus really is better. Um, Next one here is nudging forward. That's just to kind of say, you know, on the whole um, uh, journey, people, people's faith, sometimes our interactions will just be that nudge forward. And having that intentionality to know, uh, how can I nudge this person forward? Kugel's thing was just to put a stone under their shoe. I like to think, you know, of a, of a more positive side of it as well, you know, both put a stone under their shoe, but also perhaps, you know, show them a... Um, uh, let the fragrance uh, come wafting by them a bit. So they go, actually, what was that? That was a bit, 
you know, that was a bit nice and start to follow the track. So, but nudging forward, I think, is a helpful thing for us to think about. We don't just have to feel like we have to seal the deal in the moment right there. And um, if we're moving forward, um, that's a good thing. We've already spoken about winning the person versus winning the argument um, and intentionality. And then my final point there, um, be yourself. I think it's possibly my favourite. Love Jesus and in some ways be yourself. Um, something is better than nothing, probably. I think if, I don't know, I just think, you know, God is gracious, God is good. We're not justified by our, um, how good or bad we are at evangelism. And I think if we have our hearts in the right place and we long for people to be saved and we give it a go and we just be honest and be ourselves, and, but we are seeking Jesus, then I think it's probably better to do something and to do nothing. Um, my, my points there at the bottom just were, I, I forgot to bring the resources, but that's just a comment about, it's helpful to have some resources and growth and practice is just to say, in Cooper's book, he encourages growth in knowledge. And I thought, I hadn't really thought about that myself, but I thought, actually, that is a good thing to do. Grow, if you, because if, 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 if what's put holding you back from speaking to people is that you just feel like you'll get overwhelmed or you might just feel, well, oh no, what if they bring up this and I wouldn't know what to do? Why not um, educate yourself? Why not go and find out an answer for a particular topic? The truth can stand. It's going to be okay. Uh, the truth will keep being the truth and the more you find out and convinced, you, the more convinced you'll be. It only gets good. So and that was just a, yeah, that's a good, good idea. Grow in knowing your Bible better. That'll help. Grow in knowing the gospel better. That'll help as you try to present the gospel in a diversity of ways. Um, and grow in your knowledge of these apologetic questions that come up. And even reading something like Kugel's book, just you, you, you grow in, oh, right, yeah, okay, this is some arguments that people use. And he really meant much of it was about how logic works. And it was quite helpful, just a really good book to read. So, yeah, grow. And... Uh, that's a practical thing to put, put, uh, put it into motion. So that comes to the end of my notes, but let's have, let's have another open up the floor again. Any other questions or comments off the back of that? We've got five minutes left. Uh, it's up to you. <coughs> no worries. <coughs> Shall I just say a prayer then, and then I'll... Or, or do you, I guess I, what I want to do is I wanted to finish... Um, formally uh, on the hour, just so that people can go if they want, and then and I'm very happy just to chill and chat. Um, should, should we do that? Let's, do, let's just do comments and questions then for just five minutes, and then I'll put the rest of the pause and we'll carry on. Just thinking about the hint of the head and the heart, um, in the, I think often in the Bible, I'm just sort of thinking about that, like rarely, I don't know if it ever says and then they were intellectually convinced. Like you made this point last time, like then they were cut to the heart. And I don't, I'm just sort of thinking how, how useful is the, the sort of intellectual defense. And, and then I'm also thinking about like on Tom's journey to faith, there were kind of like intellectual hurdles that he got over. Mm. And then eventually it was cut to the heart by the gospel. But the intellectual hurdles were sort of united along the way. Um, yeah, I'm just sort of pondering this whole head heart thing. Not really sure what the question is. I guess what is the sort of biblical defence for heading for the head? Yeah, I think I'd probably just go to Paul's example. Um, he seems to me that he clearly tried to use arguments. Um, he tried to persuade and reason and defend that Jesus was the Christ. Mm -hmm. So in his context, that's what he was dealing with. Um, he seems to do the same thing when he goes to Athens. He's again trying to persuade people. Um, and, and that's, I suppose that's it really. And I think as well, just simply the fact that um, uh, every time Jesus opens his mouth in an evangelistic context, um, in an effort to uh, convince them of something, um, He's, he's aiming for the head. So I think he's, he's both aiming for the head and for the heart. You know, for, for example, with the rich young ruler, he's going for the heart there. He's kind of brilliant, moved by Jesus. 
um, to reach right in. Um, but at the same time, he even says he even says at one point in John, if you don't believe by my words, uh, uh, at least believe by the miracles. At least believe by my works, he says. So I think at that point, he's even happy to to say by the miracles themselves, um, be be persuaded. But probably the strongest one is Paul, the fact that he he reasons so much. Yeah. I know that sounds like a lot of things to be encouraged by, but like Jesus was the truth. He was like the best evangelist ever, literally God, and people still reject him. And I find that encouraging when I think, oh, if only I'd done a bit better, or if only I'd, you know, remembering that Jesus himself, who was perfect, was rejected, kind of can guard against this, like, oh, what if I'm not good enough? What if my life's not good enough? Words aren't good enough. Um, and, and coming back to the fact that God is the one who saves, our frailties are not going to get in the way of God's salvation. And that just, yeah, it kind of encourages me to have a go even if I'm going to be rubbish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I completely agree. With that. And, and I, I, so I mentioned it earlier, I think of the category of witness. Mm-hmm. If we can be faithful witnesses, um, both in what we say and in how we live and in our manner, there's a kind of wind there, you know. We've witnessed to Christ. We've pointed to him. Um, and whether it's rejected or received, we've done a job. And, 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 and that's what he says at the beginning of Acts, doesn't it? And you will be my witnesses, um, testifying to who I am. And I think that brings God glory. In and of itself. That moment is good. Any other comments, questions? Go on. I think that, that makes me think of coming back to the first session, which was getting, it seems to me like evangelism is like a, another means of grace. I didn't put it in any of the sessions, but I think I think Philemon talks about that, that in the sharing of your faith you might grow or something like this. And evangelism almost functions as a means of grace in that sense as you realise, oh right, actually struggling to love these people or getting really wound up or it just is becoming functional or it's not being fueled by love for 
my own love for God, you know, and that kind of brings us back to back to the cross, and that kind of pushes us back out again. The world kind of pushes us back to the cross. And, yeah, so I think it's a, I see it as a, as a, as a cycle like that, um, both feeding off each other. So I pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for tonight. Um, thank you for uh, our Lord Jesus. And thank you so much that in this world that you've made, uh, what you've given to us in Jesus is so much better than anything else the world offers. Please help us to be good ambassadors, good witnesses of your Son. And thank you again that we get this privilege uh, to represent him, how great he is. Uh, what, a, what a great honour uh, to belong to him, to be his servant, um, and even to be able to call ourselves your children. So thank you for tonight. We pray that you'd um, encourage our hearts and help us as a church to put this into practice, uh, both corporately and individually. For your name's sake, Jesus.